We are in a series called Conversations with Jesus. As we look at the Gospels, we'll see that Jesus had all kinds of conversations with all kinds of people. He talked to the religious leaders like the Pharisees, but he also talked to like poor beggars on the side of the road. He also talked with men as well as women. He talked with fellow Jews as well as Gentiles. We also read about the conversations Jesus had with close friends like the disciples. And then we also see conversations that Jesus has with strangers that he meets for the first time. Some people come to Jesus for help, while others try to trap Jesus in his words. We can learn from Jesus and how to engage in conversations with others, and how also we can have better conversations with Jesus ourselves. Now, some conversations are easy to have with people. Last week, Nick Gherkin did a great job of teaching from uh, John chapter 3, where Nicodemus came to Jesus at night because he was genuinely asking Jesus, how do I become born again? That was a pretty easy conversation for Jesus to have. However, some conversations can be challenging. Now, we can all think about people in our lives that are challenging. You probably are thinking somebody right now. And it's challenging to talk with them, but it's probably even more difficult to talk with them about Jesus. A number of years ago, we had a high school student uh, come to our student ministry for a few months. And he was a part of one of our small groups. And he, once he started to feel comfortable, he started to open up and he started to share his views about what he believed about God, which were quite contrary to the Bible. He believed that God was an African-American woman up in the sky. Now, this small group did a great job of graciously listening to him without judging him and condemning him, and they continue to point him towards Jesus and the gospel. A number uh, of months later, I saw him in, in the fall at uh, a football game, and I asked him, I said, uh, how's it going? He said, you know, I'm really bored in one of my classes. I said, well, how come? He said, well, they're talking about what Christians believe, and I've already learned all that stuff by attending your student ministry. Well, he never came to faith in Christ then, and I don't know if he's come to know Christ yet, but at least he knows the truth of who Jesus is and knows the gospel, and it's our prayer that one day he'll make Jesus his Savior and Lord. Now, when it comes to challenging people, we may think sometimes it's just easier to avoid the conversation. I'm sure we've all done that at times. But God calls us to share the good news of Jesus Christ with others, whether it's easy or whether it's hard. In Romans chapter 10, verses 14 and 15, Paul says this, How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. Jesus never shied away from people who are challenging. And today we're going to talk about a challenging person in Jesus' life. There was this lawyer who tried to trap Jesus in his words. I want to ask you to take your Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. Luke chapter 10, verses 25 to 37. It's on page 869 in your pew Bible. It says this, And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? 
And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among the robbers, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, The one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, You go and do likewise. Please pray with me. Father God, this morning we just want to thank you so much for your word, which which helps us to know you better. We ask this morning that your spirit will help us learn how to better engage in conversations with challenging people that you bring into our lives. And Lord, we also pray that you'd help us to learn from this message how to better engage in conversations with you. It's in your name we pray, Jesus. Amen. So this lawyer, he was a scribe who hung out with the Pharisees, and he was a lawyer um, who was an expert at interpreting the law of Moses. He was asking this question that he already knew what his, the answer is. Now, it was expected of rabbis, of which Jesus is a rabbi, that they would discuss theological um, matters in public. And the question this lawyer asked Jesus was one that was often debated by the Jews. Now, it was a good question with a bad motive because this lawyer was trying to trap Jesus. He asked the most important question that someone can ask. Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? So let's learn from Jesus and how to talk with challenging people. First of all, we need to ask great questions. Most of the time when Jesus was asked a question, he answered with a question. We see in the Gospels that Jesus asked over 300 questions to various people at various times. Now, the goal is not to trap somebody like the lawyer was trying to trap Jesus, but to gently turn the conversation towards Jesus and the Gospels. Now, after Jesus was asked this question, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Jesus responded with a great question. Jesus asked, what is written in the law? How do you read it? Jesus was speaking to the lawyer, so he was appealing to his legal mind and his expertise when he asked this question because the lawyer knew the law of Moses. We recently had our Corn Boy outreach just a few weeks ago, and one of the goals of that outreach is to engage people in conversations about the gospel. And we have a a training booklet, and a lot of this material comes from the principles that we go through in that training time. One of the things that we do in there is we share the value of asking great questions. We see that asking great questions does three powerful things. It breaks down barriers and opens up hearts. We see how Jesus' question turned the focus of the conversation from the lawyer trying to trap Jesus 
and to the Lord examining his own heart to see if he had eternal life. Let's think about the, the woman at the well in John chapter 4, right? Here's this woman. She's a Samaritan woman. Jesus is a Jewish male rabbi. In a culture, Jewish males did not talk with females, and Jews hated Samaritans and vice versa. When Jesus asked a question, will you give me a drink to the woman at the well, he broke down both the gender barrier by talking to a woman and also the racial barrier. Now, also asking great questions, it also helps you understand and empathize with others. Because this man is a lawyer, Jesus already understood how he thinks. That's why Jesus appealed again to his legal mind, and he asked him what is written in the law. How do you read it? In 2 Timothy chapter 2, verses 23 to 26, Paul encourages us to understand and empathize with others. He said, Paul's really saying, you need to think about people who don't know Jesus, they're ensnared and entrapped by the devil. And look at what 2 Timothy 2.23 says. He says, have nothing to do with foolish, ignorant controversies. You know that they breed quarrels, and the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind to everyone, able to teach, patiently enduring evil, correcting his opponents with gentleness. God may perhaps grant them repentance leading to a knowledge of the truth, and they may come to their senses and escape from the snare of the devil after being captured by him to do his will. Asking great questions also gives you time to pray and ask God for help. Now, as we look at this text, we don't see that Jesus is praying anywhere in here as he's as engaging this lawyer in a conversation. But we do know from other passages that Jesus is always in constant communion with the Father. In John chapter 5, verse 30, Jesus says, I can do nothing on my own. As I hear, I judge, and my judgment is just, because I seek not my own will, but the will of him who sent me. Jesus even tells his disciples that there's going to be times that you're going to have challenging conversations, but God will give you the words to say in those times. In Matthew chapter 10, verses 19 and 20, Jesus tells them, when they deliver you over, do not be anxious how you are to speak or what you are to say, for what you are to say will be given to you in that hour. For it is not you who speak, but the Spirit of our Father, your Father, speaking through you. The same is true for us, isn't it? When we ask great questions and when we pray to our Father as we're having a conversation with somebody and as they're responding, how often is that when you're doing that, that the Lord gives you the words to say? We need to ask questions that engage and not enrage. Jesus wasn't asking questions that enraged the lawyer. The question engaged the lawyer in conversation. When, during my undergrad years, I attended the University of Michigan, and in the very center at the University of Michigan, there's this place called the Diag. Now, the Diag, there's a whole bunch of sidewalks that go to this center place. It, uh, it's this giant paved area, and at the very, very center of, of the Diag is a Michigan M in the sidewalk made out of metal. Now, around the perimeter of the Diag are all these cement benches, and out just outside of that is, is a bunch of nice manicured glass with shaded trees. And then around that is all the academic buildings. Now, this is a great place for a lot of college students to, they would just gather and have picnics, or they would throw a Frisbee around, or just, just hang out there and study. Well, sometimes uh, people would come to the center of the Diag, because that's where a lot of college students hang out, and they would do something that would draw a crowd. Well, 
there was one guy, and he was really famous. His name was Preacher Mike. And what Preacher Mike would do is he would get up on one of the cement um, benches, and he would start preaching at the college students. Except he preached in a way that didn't engage them, but enraged them. He would say things like this, that you are a bunch of immoral, drinking college students, and you're all going to hell if you don't give your life to Christ and put your faith in Jesus. Now, what he said was not wrong, right? But how he said it enraged them, and it didn't engage them. 1 Peter 3.15 says this, But in your hearts honor Christ the Lord as holy. Always be prepared to make a defense to anyone who asks you for a reason for the hope that is in you, yet do this with gentleness and respect. When we're asking great questions, we need to move from secular to spiritual subjects. Now, this lawyer jumped right into a spiritual subject with Jesus because of who Jesus is, after all. He asked, teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? Now, most likely, people aren't going to come up to you and say, how do I inherit eternal life, right? So you'll need to start out with some secular questions and subjects and pray and ask the Lord to turn the conversation towards spiritual subjects. So what are some questions you can ask somebody, some secular questions? You can just, if you meet somebody, you can just say, hey, where do you live? What city do you live in? Or tell me about your family. Do you, are you married? Do you have kids? You can ask them, what do you like to do for fun? Or, or what do you think about the bears? Well, then you're praying, and as you're asking the Lord to turn the conversation, you want to start asking spiritual questions. Like, do you go to church anywhere? What are your spiritual beliefs? What do you think happens after we die? Or what do you think about Jesus? So after we ask great questions, we need to admire what you can about what they believe. Admire what you can about what they believe. Looking back at Luke chapter 10, verse 26, it says this, Jesus said to them, what is written in the law? How do you read it? And the Lord answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and your neighbor as yourself. And then Jesus said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this and you will live. So we see that after Jesus asked a great question, what is written and how do you read it, the lawyer answered Jesus' question because he knew the law, right? He was thinking about Deuteronomy 6, verses 4 and 5, which is called the Great Shema, which a devout Jewish person would recite two times a day, which says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your, and with all your heart, and with all your mind. And then he was probably thinking about Leviticus 19, 18. And it says this, You shall not take vengeance or bear a grudge against the sons of your own people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. So Jesus admires what this lawyer believes by saying, you have answered correctly. Now, admiring what you can focuses on commonalities. Jesus agrees with the lawyer that the two greatest commands are to have love for God and love for others. Admiring what you can, it builds bridges and not walls. Proverbs 15.1 says, a gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. Because Jesus admired what the lawyer said, the lawyer's heart was softened, and now he was asking another question, not to trap Jesus anymore, but to see if his life measured up enough to inherit eternal life. 
Now, you can find something to believe about any belief system. I want you to think through some scenarios. So think about if you had a conversation with someone who was Muslim. You can admire the fact that they are devout and praying five times a day. What about someone who is an atheist? You can admire the fact that they have a commitment for seeking the truth. Or what about our, our Mormon and Jehovah's Witness friends that come knocking on our doors? You can admire the fact that they have a zeal for sharing their message. Or if you're talking with a Buddhist, you can admire the fact that they want to lead a peaceful life. Well, here's one. What about a Satanist? What can you admire about a Satanist? Is there anything you can admire about them? Well, I think there's one thing that you can say, at least they believe in the supernatural, but that's about it, right? Here's the thing, and I want to make this abundantly clear, that just because you are admiring an area what someone believes or how their religion causes them to behave, that does not mean that you are endorsing their belief system. You're not endorsing what any of these people believe. You're just admiring a part of what they believe. If you can't find anything to admire in their belief system, at least admire their honesty for sharing with you. Once you clearly begin to share the gospel, you know what's going to happen? They're going to start to see the differences of what they believe and what the truth is of who Jesus is. And this is exactly what we see happens with Jesus when he shares with a lawyer. Lastly, we need to help them admit their need for Jesus. So after we ask great questions, after we admire what they believe, we need to help them admit their need for Jesus. Jesus says to the lawyer that if you're able to perfectly love God and love your neighbor, you will have eternal life. The problem is, that no one, absolutely nobody, can perfectly keep the law. A lawyer should have responded that it's impossible for him to keep the law. He should have cried out to Jesus, Lord, help me, I can't do this. In Galatians chapter 3, verse 10, it says this, For all who rely on works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, Cursed is everyone who does not abide by all things written in the book of the law and do them. And a few verses later in Galatians 3, we see that the purpose of the law is to help us see that we can't keep the law and that we need Jesus. I love how the NASB translate Galatians 3, verses 23 and 24. It says this, But before faith came, we were kept in custody under the law, being shut up to the faith which was later to be revealed. Therefore, the law has become our tutor to lead us to Christ so that we may be justified by faith. Now, this lawyer, he tried to justify himself by asking Jesus this follow-up question that we see in Luke ten twenty-nine. He says, but he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, and who is my neighbor? This lawyer was asking Jesus to define neighbor, the Greek word for neighbor is the word plesion, which means near or close by. Now, our neighbor is just simply a person that crosses your path and whose need that you can meet. Jesus answers the question with a parable. Now, a parable is, is simply a story that Jesus tells to illustrate the truth that he is teaching. So Jesus talks about this man, and he's traveling from Jerusalem down to Jericho. 
Now, this road from Jerusalem to Jericho was really known as a dangerous road because it was a 20-mile hike from Jerusalem to Jericho, but Jerusalem was 2,300 feet above sea level, and Jericho was 1,300 feet below sea level. So when you're traveling down this road, there's times it's really narrow and rocky, and there's sharp turns, and so it's an ideal place for robbers to just wait for some traveler traveling by himself. So that's what happens. A bunch of robbers um, strip this man, they beat him, and they leave him half dead. And Jesus says that a priest walks down this road and sees him, and he intentionally walks on the other side, avoiding this man. A Levite also comes upon this man, and he walks on the other side of the road, avoiding him. Now, the reason why Jesus intentionally picked a priest and a Levite is because most, both of those men knew the law well, just like the lawyer. And both of those men knew that they were required by the law to help out this man. But neither one of them did. In Jesus' parable, he then says that this, a Samaritan comes upon this man and he has compassion on him. He binds up his wounds and he pours oil and wine on them. And then he places a man on an animal and he takes him to an inn and giving the innkeeper two denarii, which is two days' wages for an average uh, laborer, he asked the innkeeper to take care of this man. He said, if there's any extra expenses, when I return, I'll pay you for that. Now, this would cut to the heart for this lawyer because Samaritans, remember we talked about, were hated by the Jews because they were half Jews and half Gentiles. So Jesus asks in verse 36, which of these three do you think proved to be the neighbor of the man who fell among the robbers? The lawyer couldn't even say the name Samaritan because that just grinded against who he was. So he said, the one who showed mercy on him. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. Now what Jesus is showing is that the lawyer is very much like the priest and the Levite. And he knew the law, but didn't live it out. And he couldn't live it out fully. This story should have driven the lawyer to, to admit his need for Jesus. But the story ends here, so we really don't know at the end if the lawyer continued to feel justified or if he ever came to a point even later on in his life to admit his need for Jesus. You know, in the same way, when we talk to challenging people, we need to help them admit their need for Jesus. Now, we can help them admit their need for Jesus a couple of ways. We can do it first by admitting our own need for Jesus by sharing our story with them of how we realized that we were broken, that we were sinful people, and that we needed Jesus to save us from our sins. Paul does this in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 13 and 15. He says, Though formerly I was a blasphemer, persecutor, and insolent opponent, but I received mercy because I had acted ignorantly in unbelief, and the grace of our Lord overflowed for me with the faith and love that are in Christ Jesus. The saying is trustworthy and deserves a full acceptance that Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners, of whom I am the foremost. Not only uh, can we learn um, how to and as we share with others, admitting our need for Jesus in a conversation with others. But also, we can learn 
uh, how to talk with Jesus in our own relationship by admitting to Jesus that we need him every day of our lives, every moment of our lives. Every moment you wake up, you should say, Jesus, I need you. I need you today. I need you to get through today. This humble strategy of admitting our need for Jesus, it shatters stereotypes of Christians being self-righteous. And it also shows somebody that we're just one beggar showing another beggar where to find bread. Another way we can help somebody admit their need for Jesus is this, is by sharing the gospel with them. I find that many Christians, if you were to put them on the spot and, and their friend were to come up to you and, or their neighbor and they, they don't know who Jesus is and they say, could you please share the gospel with me, that a lot of times the average Christian couldn't clearly articulate the gospel. So what is the gospel? We need to start out by this. We need to start out with creation, and we need to share with them that God created us for a relationship with him. That we need to talk about our sin, and that we're sinful, and our sin offends a holy and perfect God, and our sin separates us from God, and it can't be removed by good deeds. No matter how hard we try, it can't remove our sin. Then we need to talk about how God provided for us, that God sent his only son, Jesus Christ, to this earth, and he paid the price for your sin and my sin by dying on the cross, and three days later, he rose from the dead. And if we repent, and then we need to talk about our responses, the fourth thing, if we repent of our sin and put our faith and trust in Jesus alone, then we'll have eternal life. And that life with Jesus, it starts now and lasts forever. Would you be able to share the gospel with somebody if they came up to you tomorrow at work or at school or in your neighborhood? Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, verses 3 and 4, he said, For I deliver to you as of first importance what I also received, that Christ died for our sins in accordance with the scripture, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day in accordance with the scriptures. I want to share with you um, just a concluding story of a challenging situation I had um, in my life. And just like God has graciously allowed me um, and Jeremy to be go to the lunches at the Harder Middle School on Fridays, and, and I go to the Kalen High School on Thursdays. And in my last ministry, I was able to uh, go to the lunches in this little uh, school called Groziel High School and Groziel Middle School. And uh, I used to go there, and I, I used to hate going to lunches at the middle school on Fridays. And this is the reason why. I remember one Friday, I, I would go into the lunchroom, and I was talking to some kids, and some other kids all the way on the other side of the lunchroom, they would yell out to me because they knew I was the student ministry pastor at the church on this island. He'd say, hey, church guy, come over here and join our cult. Church guy, come over here, join our cult. Well, I knew it was a privilege for me to be in the school, and I knew if I just stood here and tried to ignore them that the vice principal who was also in the lunchroom would say, I don't know if we want to keep this guy coming to the school. We'll probably have to ask him to leave. So I said, I got to act quickly. So I walked over to these guys because it's pretty hard to yell at somebody who's standing right next to you. So I just started asking them. I was like, hey, um, why don't you tell me about your cult? And... They said a bunch of nonsense, you know, they were eighth grade boys. And Well, after that Friday, I, I started making a beeline to those guys, and, and I just started talking to them, and I started building a relationship with these guys. Well, one, uh, one Friday, um, something happened out of the blue, and, and the ringleader of this group, his name was Bobby. 
And Bobby said, hey, Mario, I'm having a birthday party tomorrow. Would you like to come? And like, okay, these are middle school boys, right? Okay, are they playing me or what? Is there something that they're planning? <laughs> it's like, I don't know, you know? And so, remember, they, they were already told me to join their cult, and I don't know if this is part of their human sacrifice or something. <laughs> so, anyway, I, uh, I said, I'll, I'll show up, and I know Jesus, so I know I'm going to heaven. So, uh, I, uh, I went over to Bobby's house and uh, went over to his birthday party. And uh, we played some football, and uh, we watched a movie and had some pizza. And we had a great time. And at the end of that birthday party, uh, I asked Bobby and his mom, I said, Hey, um, Bobby, do you, do you mind if we just kind of hung out sometime and maybe got a bite to eat and just talk some more? And Bobby said, Sure, that'd be great. So one Saturday afternoon, I, I took Bobby out to lunch, and we went to Chili's. And as we were driving home, I remember asking Bobby, you know, do you go to church anywhere? What do you believe? And he didn't say a whole lot. And I said, do you mind if I share with you the most important thing to me? He said, no, that'd be fine. So I started sharing with him. I said, Bobby, uh, you know that God created you and I for a relationship with him. But our sin, it separates us from God. And, and sins can't be removed by good deeds, no matter how hard we try. But the great news is this, that 2,000 years ago, Jesus Christ came to this earth and paying the price for your sin and my sin, Jesus died on the cross and rose from the dead. And Bobby, if, if you put your trust in Jesus and repent of your sins, you'll have eternal life. And that life with Jesus starts now and lasts forever. And so as I'm pulling into Bobby's driveway, I asked Bobby, Bobby, does that make sense to you? He said, yes, it does. I said, Bobby, is there anything right now that's holding you back from placing your trust in Jesus? And he said, no. And right there in his driveway, Bobby placed his trust in Jesus as his Savior and Lord. And you know what the cool thing was? In high school, Bobby started coming to our, our student ministry every week after that. God had changed Bobby's life. And so I know for all of us, we're going to have challenging people in our lives. And maybe it's not going to be a bunch of junior high boys that are going to ask you to join their cult. <laughs> but, you know, there will be challenging people that God's going to bring into your lives. And the question is, are you going to respond to the Spirit's call to, to talk to them and tell them about Jesus? And how do you do that? You ask great questions. You admire what you can about what they believe. And lastly, what you do is you help them admit their need for Jesus. Now, some of you may be here tonight and you're like this lawyer and maybe You've never really considered Christ and never really considered your need for Jesus. I want to encourage you that as we go into our closing song, just to go before the Lord and admit your need for Jesus and, and just tell Jesus, Jesus, I'm a sinner. And Jesus, I believe that you died on the cross for my sins and that you rose from the dead. And, and right now, I want to repent of my sins and I want to put my trust in you as my Savior and Lord. And if that's the desire of your heart, I want to encourage you to talk with myself or someone at the Welcome Center or the friend that brought you, because we'd love just to share with you more about this amazing relationship we have with Christ. Let me pray for us. Father God, I just want to thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for your word, and I thank you for this challenging conversation that you had with this lawyer and how you asked him great questions. You admired what he believed, but then you share the story to help him admit his need for you. I pray for each of us that you would help us um, have those opportunities 
to share the gospel with others. It's in your precious name we pray, Jesus. Amen.